0: Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection... And I say this often, if you haven't tried long-necks wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at long-necks. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. long Sports Grill, this college basketball season, stay late, come often. On Cincinnati's ESPN 1530. All right, that's us. Good afternoon, I'm O'Egger. This is ESPN 1530. Thank you so much for listening. I, uh, I really do appreciate you uh, checking out our show on a... Uh, a dreary-looking Tuesday afternoon. We are uh, out of the way early. UK basketball at 5.30. Wildcats taking on uh, South Carolina in Columbia. It's a big local college basketball night. Speaking of college hoops, uh, we will get to the UC loss last night in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, a little bit later on, the Bearcats fall to the Jayhawks. A frustrating night. Uh, marginally encouraging, I suppose, but still frustrating if uh, you add it to the previous three losses, which to a degree looked and felt a lot like last night's defeat. Before we do that, because it's Tuesday, our buddy Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic is here covering the, the Bengals and their offseason and the search for a new offensive coordinator. Read his work at the TheAthletic.com. Latest podcast is out as well. Hear that podcast growling and uh, make sure you follow Paul on Social media at Paul Danner Jr. How's it going? Doing good. What's up? I'm happy to start the show by talking about the Bengals.
1: Yeah, that's a good place to start. We yes. can, uh, you, you showed me on, on our podcast your sad piece of paper.
0: I've got it in the other room. It's
1: in the yeah. other room. You got to keep your distance from, mm-hmm. from that? Okay.
0: I drove myself nuts this morning. Yeah. Uh, affirming something that I thought, and mm-hmm. it made me depressed. Well, I, we don't want to be depressed. No, 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 no. no, We're no. trying to bring people up. That's not okay? what the show is about. We're not about the depression.
1: We're d- we're deep into dry January for some, so we can't push people <laughs> further off the ledge. Let's try to let's try to spin it positive. Hey, the offense coordinator has gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yay!
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's oh. good. It's it's good news if you are uh, Brian Callahan or in his family or. Sure, I'm I, happy for Brian. I'm Callahan. happy for Brian. I mean, this is a uh, really a long overdue thing in my in my opinion, I feel like his his role in the Bengals success over this period of time since he arrived here is maybe been the most underrated and under discussed of maybe anybody Mm -hmm. just because he gets discredited because it's burrow he gets discredited because he doesn't call plays he gets discredited because he's in the shadow of zach taylor when in actuality i mean he's really been hand in hand with zach taylor in every decision beyond just offense and the way that they structure everything the way that they build leadership but that's not really something people care much about it happens mostly behind closed doors and and he's not the one that is you know out there mm-hmm. um and so that kind of all flies flies by the wayside I, it just took a while for people to realize it but I, I think um, once teams started to dig in and see it a little bit better after a couple of years in the cycle mm-hmm. that's what, how he you, you end up number one without a doubt on somebody's list like he was for Tennessee
0: yeah I mean you know you, you talk about well folks focus on the the play calling. And folks focus on having Joe Burrow. And, you know, those are not insignificant things. No. But when I think of the the rebranding, the reimaging and the the rise to prominence of the Cincinnati Bengals, I think of Joe Burrow, but I also think about a process that started in 2019 with a coach whose program has worked. And that's not solely the the result of that one coach's work. It's the extension of the assistance. And I can think of nobody whose connection with Zach Taylor stands out more to me on the coaching staff. And you know a lot more about this than I do than Brian Callahan's. That has to be considered.
1: Yeah, you would you would certainly think so. And and it's it and it's grown with each year. You know, we one thing that we've heard a lot about with this staff is is what? Evolution and room to grow. And they've mm-hmm. admitted that. They've admitted that they made a ton of mistakes when they were in their early years and that it should be okay for young coaches to evolve and mature and grow and get better. The same thing you ask of young players. And they admitted that that was part of their process. And by the time they really hit their stride in 2021, a big part of that was Brian Callahan's role growing much more and Zach Taylor taking more of an overhead delegatory position and, Mm -hmm. and working more, even more in cohesion with him in terms of, the way that they do everything. I just, you know, I feel like that was part of their growth, was him becoming kind of like, I don't know, head coach too, <laughs> a little bit. Right. Because when you're, when you know, when you spend five years knowing all the trash that shows up on the head coach's desk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a real feel and D- and helping deal with it. You sure. get a, you get a real feel for whether you th- can or cannot do that job. And I think everybody in that building is of the belief that Brian Callahan can not just do the job, but do it really well. And we'll see. There's a lot of great coordinators that they get to the head coach job and sure. it just doesn't work Yeah, for, for any number of reasons. And maybe that will be the case. Maybe it won't be. But I, I do think that, he more when you look at everything that's out there, he is more deserving of a chance and, and has as good a shot as any to succeed.
0: I do think Will Levis could play. Yeah, and so I, I, you know, is he Joe Burrow? No, but I, I do think there's at least a a quarterback in place that he could build a system around and, at the very least, compete
1: in that division. I don't want to. I mean, I know we've talked many times about yeah. maybe uh taking a day where we just do another. City's radio sports. sports we're going we're to do that this low. year. I, yeah. I mean, when, when the times were bad, it seemed like a better idea than it is sure. now.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, but I just I don't want to go Nashville radio here. Okay, but I hope he doesn't build around Will Levis. No, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can. Maybe he can be. Maybe he can be a guy. I, I'm team start over. Mm-hmm. I, I'm team like okay. pick your guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe he says what I've seen of Will Levis. He's my guy now. Right. But. It doesn't have to be somebody that plays right away because you have Levis. That'd be a good problem to have. I look if you if there's somebody there at seven, they pick at seven.
0: Yeah.
1: Who is who he believes in, who they as an organization believe in. Sure. Pick him. Let him let him sit. Let him sit behind Will Levis, see what happens. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. And and move on. But feel like you have control over it and have your guy, I think you've got to take that seriously with the biggest decision. Yeah, but I, I mean, know. I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know a ton about Will
0: Levis other than what I've seen in a few games, right? And what I've seen has been okay. What I don't know that it has to be either or. And mm-hmm. and if it's not either or, and it could be both options, that's pretty pretty good place to start.
1: Nothing nothing wrong with having two potential starting quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, as long as one is clearly good.
0: Right. <laughs> well, or he could uh, acquire Jake Browning. Also possible. Yeah, that's it. The the social media told me that was a possibility. They did. Yeah. The same social media that told me the Bengals are getting Chris Jones and Justin Jefferson.
1: Yeah, and Joe Brady's coming here. Joe
0: Brady's coming here and then trade for Nick Bosa. So, same social media told me that Brian can pry Jake Browning away.
1: Which one is that? That found, that sounds like even beyond Twitter. That's when you get into those weird ones that like the dark web. Yeah, that's dark web. The dark web. That's dark web. You can yeah. get you can get Bengals rumors and like I guess like children for sale.
0: All right, so catch me up. <laughs> so uh, Dan Pitcher then becomes for a lot of us, yeah. the the guy that we want to be the heir apparent. But the uh, the rest of the NFL likes Dan Pitcher too. So where do we? Vegas, New England. New Orleans, New Orleans, yeah, have 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 or will interview Dan about their offensive coordinator vacancy. Yes. Uh, why does he just stay here?
1: <laughs> I think that's the plan. I mean, I, I think there's there are there's a couple of different aspects to this. One, every somebody in Dan Pitcher's position, who he is, this is now a second year where he has been sought after for offensive coordinator. Let's not forget last year he could have gone to Tampa Bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And opted to come back here because he sees the path here. He saw the path here. Mm-hmm. That's important to remember when people are speculating, why wouldn't he just go somewhere else? He already has shown his cards a little bit on that. Or at least that's the way he felt last year. Things can change. But he's, there seemed to be a coming back here with the idea of, hey, this is a succession plan that I can get behind. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the path to where I want to go in my own personal life and career. That said, now why wouldn't you investigate what else is out there? Why wouldn't you hear what other teams have to say sure. um, and see what that looks like? So maybe someone's going to blow you away with an offer and you get in there and you're sold on the place. You don't know, or maybe it will just do what everybody's doing right now and, partake in leverage season Mm -hmm. right it's yeah everyone's leveraging everybody in some capacity right now we've got agents and national people and uh, oh this is it right here this is oh he might go here no everyone you know every every bit of it right now has some form of leverage to it Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's obviously part of it that's that's part of what you do when you look for other options the person at home can't just think that they can just lowball you and and because you don't have any other options, you got to prove that you do, right. I think, in in some capacity. And so I think and I think it's a matter of just listening to what he does. I think this is it, though. I mm-hmm. mean, the Bengals want this to be it. I have always had the impression that Dan Pitcher wants this to be it. It's just a matter of the Bengals making sure that this is it. Mm-hmm. It's really in their court. You know, it feels like one of those where he where they say, Dan, go on out. Talk to everybody. Sure, have, Make the rounds. Have yourself a time. Go to Vegas. Have a nice steak on the strip, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Come back here. Tell us what your best offer is and what the best situation is, and let mm-hmm. us make sure you feel good about what we're giving you. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's the way it should go. I feel like that's the way it goes. Um, but you know, it, it has to still go that
0: way. As a general sort of rule, if you are sort of making the rounds in doing interviews around the country, two of the three stops being Vegas and New Orleans are yeah. pretty good. I mean, if we were doing that, that, there's a chance
1: we don't make it back, and it's not anything to do with
0: jobs. Yeah, correct. Like, I would go to (laughs) Foxborough first. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Foxborough in January. (laughs) Now, cool, what I'm going to go do is go on a job interview to New Orleans and then follow that one up with one in Vegas. Yeah,
1: could you imagine finishing Two days in New Orleans with immediately getting on a plane toward Vegas.
0: Oh my God!
1: That's not that's not how you are supposed to do it.
0: No, that third interview would be rough for me. Yeah, hopefully it's, yeah, hopefully Vegas, it's not for Dan.
1: Headline: Vegas unimpressed with very hungover Dan Pitcher.
0: Yeah, uh, so let's say, <laughs> let, but let's say Dan Pitcher isn't the guy here. Then then what's Plan B?
1: I think that I mean then you get very speculatory,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that does feel like that's it. Seems like that's when they would go outside mm-hmm. and you would start looking for different types of candidates now let's not act like zach taylor would be stunned oh no i gotta find somebody and start picking right. up papers i mean we've seen he's known this as the quote worst case scenario i've heard him reference that before mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times so i think there are plans in his mind of what direction he would go if that was needed to be i think he has those waiting in the wings. Um, I would say if you look at the history of some of the recent offensive hires that he's made, because this is the first time we've seen a high profile one. Cause he hasn't had any coordinators taken. They've been outside of the box. I mean, Justin Hill was at Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy Walters was in Nebraska. He's not been afraid to go to the college ranks. He's not been afraid to go to some different spots. He's, he's promoted within. I mean, you, you look at some of the guys that have sort of been, been groomed, but I, I don't know that you could pinpoint everything or say, "Oh, definitely going to be someone who's been an OC in the league in a retread." I would actually very heavily go the opposite direction Hmm. and think that you would see something that you probably don't see coming, but that he's had personally planned for a while or an idea of for a while that is is not, you know, bring back Alex Van Pelt or whatever. Nothing wrong with that, but I just I don't I don't see them in the in the way that they've gone gone through things, doing it. That way, I think it would be outside of the box.
0: Why no one else internally?
1: Well, I, I, I get the impression that Troy Walters really likes where he's at mm-hmm. as receivers coach here and in the current spot, and I think that everybody's comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um That's the that's the again. So sure. I'm not ruling him out, mm-hmm. but to me, I I don't I I think to put the pen down. Is a good pen over here? Oh here, yeah, why? Uh, what, you, this um, is a really good well, what one. What do you think i gonna do with the pen? I don't know. I should, I'm just going to
0: write down a note for you're myself. Gonna,
1: you're going to write it down. You're going to cross it. You're going to put a line through it, and you're going to hold it over my head if it happens. I said, "What well, is going to happen, I've seen this before.
0: I was going to write down yeah. Frank Pollock, LOL, because okay. <laughs> I wanted to make a joke about how he's already the run game coordinator. You just expand. He's already coordinating the he's run game. He's already coordinating the run that's game. That's half the offense. Just let him run the entire offense. That's, that's Why there's, not Frank?
1: There's, there's, there's no doubt. I feel like that's... Probably not. Through. You can probably cross. Okay, that one what? off. I don't
0: have to now. I was yeah, writing myself right. a reminder. Sorry. I was going to come out of the break and go. Hey, you know, you just know. Th- there's he's already the run game coordinator. Just add pass game coordinator. Yeah. Mesh the two. Guess what you got? You yeah. got an offensive coordinator. No question.
1: No question. Frank
0: uh, Pollock was. We're crossing his name off.
1: Uh, probably. Okay. I think he's in his in his role.
0: All right. That's uh, it. And
1: and I I would say and then there, you're already backfilling. I mean I th- I think Brad Cragthorpe has kind of been in position now to take over mm-hmm. as quarterbacks coach, but he's 32. He's not even been a quarterbacks coach yet, so that's not necessarily. So I I think you end up looking looking in different directions. And one thing that was interesting. You were talking about this with uh, Tony Noss on the way in because I like to listen to you on the way Thanks. in. Thanks. I'm, I'm a big fan of their show. Me too. Um, but we're talking about you know. Sort of the idea, I, the idea of keeping it, keeping it fresh and something new, you know what I mean? That could be happening. I, I think that was something that Zach Taylor has referenced Mm -hmm. is he's been here for a while now. He doesn't want guys that have been in this building and heard the, and gone through the cycle a number of times to feel like it's stale and not new and not old. I, I, I think the fresh voice. If it's one that he trusts coming from the outside could be very good, the same way that Dan Pitchers can be very good sure. if he steps into that role. And I think that's part of it, too, um, when you start looking for guys that sound and look like what he believes Bengals coaches have sounded and looked like, which has been a pretty, um, I would say, specific personality uh, to to their staff. That's
0: different than some in the league. So I just took my pen and I bracketed the question that I was going to ask you, oh. leading off the next segment.
1: Did I ruin it?
0: Well, not really. You sort Uh-oh. of. It's a bit of a segue. Okay. And the question is, could the offense benefit from a shakeup? Yeah. So we're going to do that when we come back. I like that. And then during the break, I'll take a few notes.
1: Don't cross any more names off though until I. I crossed
0: off Pollock. Yeah, that's. If you have any more though, Mike Sherman. It's his father-in-law. Okay, you,
1: you can probably cross, cross that across. one off. Yeah.
0: Sorry. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> or we are getting somewhere. You know, by Keep process of elimination, Keep we'll the come the up with going. who the Bengals uh, offensive coordinator is. That's it. One person. at so a time. going to be <laughs> 18 minutes after uh, 3 o'clock. Uh, he's Paul Tanner Jr. covering the Bengals for TheAthletic.com. He's here till 4. We're here till 5.30 on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Cincinnati's 3 This is ESPN 1530. My name is Mo Eger. Paul Danner Jr. is here covering the uh, Bengals for TheAthletic.com. And uh, the host of Hear That Podcast, Growlin'. Uh, Brian Callahan off to uh, Nashville to be the head coach of the uh, Tennessee Titans. Bengals have an offensive coordinator opening. We were talking about this uh, a little bit off air. Walk me through the possibility. We were I was joking about Frank Pollock being the <laughs> run game coordinator. Yeah. He is, I'm guessing, not going to be the offensive coordinator. Which is fine. No. Okay, so we've established that.
1: I mean, I don't think so.
0: Could there be like the creation of a role uh, like passing game coordinator that's kind of in between OC and the quarterback's coach that is sort of set to kind of move into that role if it were to become open again?
1: I mean, this is the the first time that this staff, Zach Taylor, has had to... Replace a coordinator, and when that's the case, you know they've done a, they've changed a lot of things about the way business is done around here since he came here. Yeah, and this is the first time to look at how the staff is aligned and the size of it a little closer at that level mm-hmm. because they, I mean, they haven't needed. Why would you add more people around when you felt like you had people that were really doing a lot already that you know you that you trust in that spot that 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 is something that obviously a lot of teams have, a lot of teams do. It's a way to create, you know, even more of sort of a succession plan, if you will. Um, And if you had that, um, it could be a spot to put somebody who could be the next Dan Pitcher if he takes over as offensive coordinator, right? I mean, because I I just, I don't know, feeling like you, you know the situation a little bit. I mean, is anybody to believe if the Bengals do what they could very easily do next year that and Dan Pitcher was the offensive coordinator that he wouldn't be the one getting all the head coach the hot he wouldn't be this year's Ben Johnson Mm -hmm. I mean or any of these guys that's very much a possibility because there's already enough buzz around his name I mean look at how quick these guys come out look at Bobby Slowick look at any of the it's and that's and that's because they've done such a good job but you do well the offense does great you're already a kind of a name out there as a coordinator you're you're getting interviews Mm -hmm. okay so it feels like that would be a spot to put potentially someone in there that could be you know groomed Mm -hmm. to to be the next guy I don't know if they'll do that I don't know if that's something they want to do um but this is our first opportunity to see if that is the direction they choose to go because we do see a lot of teams do that and they do have probably the smallest coaching staff in the league right when you combine everybody plus obviously we know about the personnel side um It's not like there's not room to grow and still be one of the smallest staffs in the league. But that said, I think that's one thing to to watch if that's a direction they choose to go because a lot of teams do and they do have a small staff. So maybe this is an opportunity for them to do something.
0: Here's what I've wondered out loud. And it's no knock on what Brian Callahan brought to the Bengals and what he did here uh, because he did good work. I think that's well established, but You know, you and I have talked about how when the Bengals have not been at their best, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, it's been because the offense kind of spins its tires, right? And so, you know, I've listened to folks complain about Zach Taylor's play calling and and why isn't the offense as effective and as efficient as it needs to be, right? So the offense is good, but there's been this sense over the last couple of years it could be better. They're not changing the quarterback. They're not changing the offensive line. They're not really changing much of the personnel. You know, obviously over the course of time, T. Higgins could go, and Tyler Boyd's probably gone. But you know, the the core, the main cog is still going to be there. So, that being said, with an understanding that at times the offense spins its tires, spins its tires, is there an argument that could be made that a little bit of a shakeup on the offensive coaching staff that involves somebody with a new idea or two or a different way of communicating could end up being an asset for this team and it's offense.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely view it that way. And, and like you said, that's no knock on anybody the way it has been done. That's the way, I mean, that's how you connect with people. That's how you keep people on their toes. It's how you, you know, come up with new ideas is by having new people being forced to do new things and, and listen to different voices and think about them in a new way. Like, you know, Dan Pitcher, for example, since that's who we're talking about here. I mean, his position and his influence on the franchise has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he came in and he was in a in a GA role. I mean, he has a quarterback background, but he took over game plan and analytics, like building game plan and analytics mm-hmm. for Zach Taylor. A guy that by the way, Zach liked so much that he kept him. Through Marvin Lewis's staff, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is one of very there weren't a lot of those. Which
0: I don't think people realize he's been here that long.
1: No. Yeah. And, and he previously was a personnel guy right. for the Colts and, and Marvin Lewis stole him, which was mm-hmm. a note that uh good friend Jay Morrison pointed out yesterday when you're talking about the the Raiders interview. Mm-hmm. That said, you have that background and 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 then he comes in, he he takes over a game plan, analytics, he moves into the quarterback role when Burrow gets here. Mm-hmm. He's just had a different path and a different viewpoint on a lot of things. So when you're in the room and when you're now having those discussions, he's already been part of those before, but there's there's a there's a little different view and, and his voice and personality is is different because everybody is. And maybe that he can maybe that hits certain people a new way. Maybe it's a different view on concepts or personnel groupings or anything like that, that his background has a little bit different thought process on and that helps keep things fresh when that's something that they kind of need to make sure that they're doing right now. Although I do believe that Joe Burrow, we're sure everyone knows that it better feel fresh this year because (laughs) he feels like a guy who's going to show up with an ax to grind this, this next season. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's good. I think all of that, all of that is something that any team, any NFL franchise that is needs to evolve, but still is utilizes continuity from top to bottom the way they do has to constantly be having those tweaks from year to year that don't make it feel like oh doing the same thing again oh here's where we run this and practice like it it has to it has to have a different feel a little bit more and and this could, that's certainly a way that could do it
0: you talked on your podcast today about the play calling thing and we've made fun of that so yeah. let's I'm going to ask you a question Tony asked me, which was, you know, if the Bengals had to look outside the organization or wanted to look outside the organization for an offensive coordinator, could you see a scenario where they maybe couldn't get the guy they wanted because he doesn't call plays? No, because I don't think. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Longnecks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Longnecks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Longnecks. This college basketball season, swing by Longnecks Sports Grill. Stay late, come often. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. They would want someone who comes in with that type of an attitude, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. The type of personality that has meshed with their staff is not someone who comes in and says, I got to call plays. That is what matters to me, right? Because those that group of, although Zach Taylor did that, but he is the head coach. but <laughs> Right, it's a different position. It's a different position. Yeah, the sure. point is that inevitably it has to come to a head. But the, the point is that they have approached these things collaboratively, and that has worked for them. Um, and so someone who feels like it has to be them running their offense for whether we're talking about credit or power or whatever, wouldn't be probably someone that would as much appeal to the type of personalities that they've had on their staff. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense.
0: Totally. Yeah. 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 I I wouldn't want to call plays if I was a
1: coach. No. I mean, there's enough going on. There's just, there's a lot to do. And it feels like so much heat. The moment you call a play, like you are instantly Someone wants you fired.
0: Right. Also, if I was a coach, I would ask if I could coach from the press box.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be in the cold. Heated? Yeah, no doubt.
0: So I'm going to send the coordinator to the sideline. I'll be upstairs. I mean, I could use the headset to say, uh, we're going to punt here. I mean, we're going to go for two. because you want to be the common sense guy. You've already created the job. I yeah, mean, we
1: know it's your job.
0: My, most of my work is going to be done before the game. To the yeah. point that when the game actually starts, you my just kind watch very, very limited. I'll be like Dave Shula was, where you would just watch.
1: you don't even want that. Oh, just like you, I always watch.
0: But like I, I would watch the games and go. He looks like a guy that has just a really good view of the game. No headset, <laughs> no chart, no clipboard. Like, well, what's he doing?
1: I promise to come up to you and shake the front of your bill, your ball cap,
0: <laughs> Gary Reese. All right, <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I do have other things I I want to ask, including uh, you. Uh, you didn't do a mock draft yet, but you you wrote a reaction piece to a mock that draft. It feels like it makes it worse. I was going to ask you what you prefer. <laughs> uh, and then there's a piece in The Athletic that has the Bengals at the very top of a list. Ooh. We'll spend some time on that as well. It's uh, 28 minutes away from uh, 4 o'clock. He's Paul Daner Jr. My name is Moe This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Cincinnati. Never lay, home of lifetime powertrain protection and guaranteed credit approval from their family to yours for life uh, KelseyChev.com Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan is no longer Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan because he's going to go be the head coach of the Tennessee Titans college basketball tonight Xavier's at Creighton uh, Tip-off in Omaha at 8.30 on 700 WLW UK is out South Carolina. Pre-game coverage bumps us out of the way early at 5.30 on ESPN. 15.30 also in the area tonight, Miami's at Central Michigan, Ohio State's at Nebraska, and the Dayton Flyers in uh, Philly to take on LaSalle. Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2024 will be announced uh, tonight at uh, 6 o'clock. Brandon Phillips is on the ballot. He ain't going to get to Cooperstown, but... If you're holding out hope that maybe somebody voted for him, pay attention tonight at 6 o'clock. Cincinnati has invited to a Major League Spring Training Camp catcher Matt Nelson and catcher Daniel Veoheen And hockey tonight, the Blue Jackets skate in Edmonton. Paul Dana Jr. is here from The Athletic. What's up? Uh, we're just talking football. and yeah. stuff is
1: what's. Uh, what else is on your list? Have we Have we gotten all the way For, through it yet?
0: We'll see. So I did uh, Callahan. Why him? Who's yeah. next? OC? Who goes with him? Is he going to take any Bengals coaches or people with him?
1: No. I don't, not if 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 any, they wouldn't be any major. Take Jake Browning. No.
0: Okay. And then a pitcher: New England, Vegas, New Orleans. What if he leaves? Then who could offense benefit from shakeup? Mm-hmm. Sense of how offense could look different. Then headlines, which I just I just did, and then I I had uh, I wrote better process. I don't remember what that was in reference to. <laughs> uh, one of your colleagues did a piece on the athletic oh, yeah. ranking the the playoff possibilities for non playoff teams this year. Bengals were number one.
1: Yeah, I mean, how could they not be? Exactly. I don't. I don't. I mean, they're they're going to be a setup. They're going to have a great quarterback. They're going to have plenty of good players. So tomorrow, Mo. Mm-hmm. This is big. Yeah. This is big. You ready? Ho-ho. Mock off season is oh, back tomorrow. Yes. The sheets pull yes. it out. I, I, so I spent a bunch of time yes. going through this. And I have a hard time putting a team on paper. Mm-hmm. Even when I try to mess it up, which yeah. I do pretty often, uh-huh. that isn't going to be amongst the favorites to so make a deep playoff run. It's mm-hmm. hard to. Sure. When you, when you look at what's in place right now, mm-hmm. okay? Well, there's Joe Burrow. Yeah. Jamar Chase. Mm I already have. I'm basically putting T. Higgins in place. There's four offensive linemen that were pretty solid this Mm -hmm. year, and um, you know they're going to spend probably somewhere in the area of forty to forty five million in real 2024 cap space. Mm -hmm. Um, Hard not to put a pretty good team out there, right? And 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 so that said, I mean. Wow. How could they not be? So
0: How could they not be? Really quick for the uninitiated. Mock-off season is essentially a little spreadsheet uh, Yes, where you, uh, you, you have to figure out how you're going to build your team within the confines of the salary.
1: Cap. It is the top 32 positions, essentially. This Basically a 2D. The deep. most
0: frustrating thing I it ever seen. It was. It's it was.
1: What? The, there's one thing I'll repeat what I say about it every year. This is why I start, we started doing this. is our fourth year doing this. Mm-hmm. It's one maybe my favorite thing we do. Mm-hmm. Because it does the one thing that nobody ever does this time of year. It gives you perspective, Mm -hmm. okay? You can't just spend... Would it be great to sign LeJaria Sneed, Chris Jones, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire from the Chiefs (laughs) just for the optics? Right. Absolutely. Of course. What does that mean, though? When you hit those buttons, what happens to the rest of the things that you have to do? And in a year where they have a lot of needs that we've talked about in a lot of different places, you can see the pie very clearly and the limitations on what they've done here here's the other thing so the last two years mo i should say three years ago whatever it was when you complained very loudly about this about how frustrated you were and how mad you were and It made us revisit. It was like when the Bengals played the Steelers in that playoff game. We went back as a competition committee and said, well, "Are we doing this right?" Yes. We changed some rules, just like they did, mm-hmm. and we made it so we we changed the numbers to fit a little bit better I into the almost first year. Threw my laptop
0: three years ago. understandable. Yeah. And
1: I felt bad about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. Uh, but that said, so now it it is little. It's much more realistic to what they will actually do. Two years ago. The moves they actually made plugged into the sheet were within $2 million of our projected number. This past year, the moves they made put into the sheet were on the other side $2 million away from the actual number. It's turned out to be pretty accurate mm-hmm. into what they actually can do. Um, we do our best to try to put numbers projections on free agents and that type of stuff. We put extensions into it and everything else. But at the end of the day, with with that knowing that what it has been in the past and what it is now... There, there is a lot of room for them to do stuff mm-hmm. um, and a lot of different directions they can go. They won't be a complete team. I mean, there's going to be places that they're going to have to bet on youth or whatever, but the, I'm really excited about this because I think specifically with the T. Higgins decision, <laughs> it's really cool to watch the dip, what you can do versus keeping T. Higgins at right. $21 million, 20.7, right. uh, of the franchise tag. I mean, it's... That is one of the most fun parts of this that we've ever done, is this year with that particular number up there as a franchise.
0: What you should do is, is see if you can get Joe Burrow to participate and go, okay, big boy, uh, you can have it one way or should the other. Should I start
1: by calling him big boy? Why not? That feels like a bad place to start. I
0: think you would have a sense of humor about it. Okay. Okay, Chief. Go with Chief.
1: Chief? Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, Chief, here's the mock-off season. You want tea? Go ahead and fill out the rest of it. Yeah. Captain, yeah. right?
1: And he'll be like, "Well, if you go back to last year's mock off season, I uh, changed some of the numbers on that sheet <laughs> so that I could go ahead and hit that button."
0: All right, Chief, pal, sport, sport buddy, <laughs> bruh. So, all right. So we uh, now I was because you've already you, you when do you do your first mock draft? When does that happen?
1: When they tell me to.
0: <clears throat> so, uh, Dane Brugler is already. usually doing-
1: after the combine. Okay, the the one we do one before. The, I'll tell people. The one that matters to mm-hmm. me yeah. is is the first one after free agency. Okay. That is that, that is sense. when you finally have a real feel and you can we you've got enough evaluation time out there of understanding of the players, knowing the reset of the organization after free agency. Now we can give you a realistic mock draft. Mm. That I, said I already know who they're gonna take.
0: Okay. Well, in Dane Brugler's mock draft, mm-hmm. uh, you had to write a reaction to the mock draft. My mm-hmm. question is, what do you prefer doing more, mock drafts or reaction pieces to someone else's mock draft?
1: I mean, reaction pieces by a long shot. Dane, li-
0: Dane had him taken to Marius Mins Because, because the reaction
1: piece, I don't have to care about the name specifically. You can look at the bigger picture. And I actually liked... There were there was a really interesting takeaway. I, I'm not going to lie. I said I I want to write a reaction to this mm-hmm. because I thought there was something actually quite eye opening about his first mock draft, and that was there were eight offensive tackles between seven and twenty seven, mm-hmm. eight, and most of them were massive, right? Like huge, powerful dudes. That's kind of the the linchpin of of this first round offensive lineman. Draft. so it's is, a deep class of tackles. It's a deep, it's deep at the top for sure.
0: Yeah, um, historically deep, deepest of all time, deepest ever.
1: It is the deepest in the last five years. Right. So, the last, so take I, a I believe, defensive end. I believe that I wrote this a week ago, so I'm trying to remember specifically, but I believe <laughs> it was there had been four taken between those numbers each of the last four or five years, something of that nature, and they have eight projected there right now Mm -hmm. and that and many of which fit the mold that you could see the Bengals going for i thought that was notable it was the same as last year at this time the trend was look at all those tight ends they're going to be around zero does that mean they took none of them (laughs) but i think it's the same it's it's available it's part of the going to be part of the conversation from now until they go on the clock that day uh that said um byron young from texas would be probably my number one choice for them
0: well I, i look for how many mock drafts do you have to do
1: I, it'll probably be two or three. Two
0: or three. It's not bad.
1: No, it's not bad.
0: I many got folks. Many of your peers will be doing like sixteen, seventeen mock drafts. No,
1: I'm not. I'm not deep in that game. I let our draft people be our draft people, Smart. and uh, they ask for they ask for my opinion and what I know about things all the time, and I give it to them so that theirs can be very good. And mine will be as good as I can do.
0: The NFL playoffs are unfolding. Conference championship weekend is uh, coming up. And uh, I I want to talk to you about that when we come back. All right. It is to- uh, 13 away from 4 uh, o'clock. He's Paul Daner Jr. Uh, latest podcast here. That podcast Growlin is uh, out. And uh, you can obviously read his work as well at TheAthletic.com. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station.
3: Did you know COVID
0: before for Cooperstown at 6 o'clock? And then... Uh, Maybe at like 6.07, uh, everybody on social media is going to be mad because that's what the Hall of Fame voting process gives us. And so there you go. That's what, actually, that's uh, that. It, 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 we usually carry a show on ESPN radio. We won't have it because of a UK game tonight, so you have to find that uh, elsewhere. It is uh, 9 away from uh, 4 o'clock ESPN, 1530. Paul Danner Jr. from The Athletic is here uh, covering the Cincinnati Bengals and the offseason season. Meanwhile, the, the playoffs are unfolding. There is nothing that has United Bengals fans like everybody deciding that no one can win the Super Bowl except for the Detroit Lions, <laughs> right? Sure. Everybody, nobody wants the winner of the AFC to win, no. right? Now, I said this on the show yesterday, the Chiefs don't bother me like yeah. they do so many others. I appreciate excellence. This has been an excellent run. I don't get caught up in, the, I don't care about Taylor Swift. I think Patrick Mahomes is a pretty good guy. Andy Reid seems like a nice man. I I, I don't know any Chiefs fans, so they don't bother me. I, they don't bother me as much as I guess they're supposed to. I would
1: say them winning validates the Bengals a little more too, right? They're the only team that's been able to stick it to them, right? I mean, they're the ones that went into Kansas City and beat them. They've yes. they've beaten them in the regular season more in more con- convincingly I do not convincingly, but done it more so than anybody else. To me i look and say, sure, you want Can- you want people to continue to exalt Kansas City that in the year that Joe Burrow didn't actually play, yeah. they went and won it, and the only team that's kind of been able to knock them off, you know, Brady didn't in the Super Bowl, well, obviously, but... Sure, yeah. I, I think that's that's a, that's a thing. You don't want yeah. the Ravens.
0: No, I really like, you don't. Can't, you can't
1: want that. I really don't, if you're but a, I, I... mean, if you're but really... Like,
0: but, like, all right, I'll, I'll step away from, okay, they're an AFC North team. I like Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I love watching him play. It's yeah. He's a blast to watch, and I, I like him. And... You know, the only box he has yet to cross off is winning the Super Bowl. I was, and it's going to happen at some point. He's going to win one at some point. Why not now?
1: I was happy for him, and then retire. Yeah, <laughs> I I thought Saturday. I I stood here, and this isn't just me. You know, CYA here. I, I I stood here last week, and I talked about how I thought Houston was dangerous going into Baltimore, mm-hmm. and I and I still feel that was the case. Yeah, because this was the moment that I think everything changed for Baltimore. It ended up exactly in the scenario they did not want to be in. They felt like they'd dominated that first half, but yet there they were tied coming out of Mm halftime. And that was the point where you wondered about these Ravens. Will they get tight and crumble? Yeah, Knowing the history, knowing what had happened, so much pressure on this being their year, all of that stuff. Here's free and easy Houston. Can C.J. Stroud start to summon some of that magic? And Baltimore not only... I guess Lamar gave some kind of win for the Gipper speech or something at halftime mm-hmm. but not only did they not crumble or tighten or any of that stuff they played to they took it to another level. Yes. I felt like that was the game changer for Baltimore. Now, Super Bowl champs. Champs. Yeah. They're the best team. They're not going to play tight. They're feeling they've all the momentum right now barring Lamar Jackson getting hurt. Um they feel like they're going to win it all. Well,
0: and then <clears throat> everybody here and and i we could all relate to lions fans those of us who who love the bengals yeah. from an emotional standpoint like the the scenes at ford field have looked a lot like the scenes at 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 paycor 2 years ago when the bengals beat the raiders and so i can relate to that from a pure football perspective when baltimore played san francisco in the regular season i could not wait for that game mm-hmm. cuz i thought it was going to be awesome and it wasn't 49ers were terrible that night baltimore took advantage and blew them out The most likely outcome, though, if those two teams play, is that I get the game I thought I was going to get a month and a half ago. Yeah, And I really wanted it then. I couldn't get it then. Why shouldn't I want it now? So the the outcome I'm rooting for is the best possible Super Bowl. Also, I think I'm going to bet both favorites. But from a pure football perspective, I think Baltimore and San Francisco give us the best opportunity for just a great game involving the best two teams. If you were a big fan of symmetry,
1: though... You probably would like Kansas City and the Lions, right? If you really like, you like a bookend, mm-hmm. the start and the finish. See what it looks like the beginning oh, they and the end. Week one, yeah, oh, yeah. The opening game of the season, That's right. the closing game of the season. Very symmetrical. I'm not a symmetry guy. Yeah, well, then you don't care. Yeah, I, I can't imagine I someone's know. out here screaming "go symmetry" with a sign or something no. like that. But I mean, no. I'm just saying it would be. Outside of that, I'm with you. I think everyone's heart is with the Lions, but I think in your head, I think you know that San Francisco. Is the better team, although you can, they should have lost to
0: Green Bay. They should have, yes. <laughs> and if but, they don't have Debo Samuel, then I. That I, changes
1: things too. Big time. But that said, I still think Detroit's pass defense is a, gonna be the weakness that is the difference in that game. I just think they'll be able to take advantage of it, and San Francisco does everything everything so well. And I, I think that will take it. That, that will be the difference in San Francisco goes, goes also,
0: on. I mean, you guys who cover football for a living, you hate media day, Dan Campbell, on media day will be asked to go viral any number of ways. And I'm not looking forward to that. No. I, I like that guy, but I, I'm not looking forward to
1: that. Well, yeah, there, there will be many, there'll be many knee biter references. <laughs> we'll get all that stuff. They're going to be some, everyone's going to have blue collars and yeah. we're gonna, everyone's going to be writing about grit yeah. It's going to be I know, was
0: watching the pregame show before that game on Sunday and Jason Garrett who like looks like a mannequin. Like he he like literally <laughs> looks like a mannequin. Like in the pregame show, here's this former NFL coach like, "Well, what do you think, Jason?" He's like, one ah, 313 Grit." Like, you're paying him for that? Yeah. A, a former NFL coach and player and and what he's going to give you is, "I could have done that. I could have gone on NBC and said, "Yeah, uh, 313 grit and then looked like a mannequin.
1: Jason Garrett is about as good in front of a mic as he was with a headset on. It's not good. Has a human being ever looked more like a mannequin? No. <laughs> no. The answer is no. No, that's a that's an old Seinfeld right there where Elaine where Elaine looked like. Or the, that the mannequin movie in the with the
0: lady from Sex in the City was a mannequin and then came to life and it got and weird. And then the
1: movie mannequin, right? In yeah.
0: that movie, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure, yeah. sure. There you go. All right, we'll uh, we'll
1: talk to you. We'll see you next week. I, I look forward to that. Yeah, it'll be great. It <laughs> will be. Who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe there will be a new offensive coordinator, or maybe we'll still be talking about the tr- oh. <laughs> the fateful trip from New Orleans to Vegas.
0: That such a
1: nasty combo.
0: You should see if like you could tag along and bed yourself with Dan Pitcher.
1: I might do it even if I can't find him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Make sure you read Paul Daner Jr. TheAthletic.com. Hear the podcast where you get your podcast. Hear that podcast growling. And uh, follow Paul on uh, Twitter slash X at Paul Daner Jr. I have a very, very sad, sad, sad piece of paper <laughs> in the other room. I'm going to get it. We're going to talk about last night's Bearcat game. Even though it really doesn't apply to last night's Bearcat game, when we come back, it's uh, coming up on 4 o'clock. My name is Mo Egger. Thank you so much for listening. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station.
1: This report is
0: sponsored by 1530. Hey, that's me. Good afternoon. This is ESPN 1530. Thank you for uh, listening to our show today. Good stuff from Paul Daner Jr. As always, Uh, we're uh, done early today. UK basketball comes your way at uh, 530 As uh, the Wildcats take on uh, South Carolina Xavier in action tonight on the road against uh, Creighton. I was going to start the hour since we did an hour on the Bengals with uh, Paul. I was going to start the hour. I have put it off uh, talking about last night's game in Lawrence. Uh, UC hung in there. They covered the spread, but they did not win. Falling to the Kansas Jayhawks. uh, Cincinnati gets through the first six games, two and four. We said that was worst case. And they hung in there against, you know, kind of the signature school of the Big 12. A, nationally, a national powerhouse, uh, a, a team that I, I think is a rung below the absolute best in college basketball, but certainly nobody would be surprised if the Jayhawks found themselves uh, playing deep into March. And yet, a lot of us walked away from that game last night feeling disappointed and frustrated, I think, in large part because some of the uh issues that have plagued this team and other Big Twelve losses cropped up last night, and had they not been issues last night, perhaps the Bearcats would have pulled off the upset. So we're we're gonna do all of that, but as you're likely aware, our friend uh Bearcat uh Bearcat Journal's Chad Brendel has uh like a caravan or has had a caravan of folks uh that have made the trek with him to uh first Kansas City, then to to Lawrence, and then I guess back to Kansas City. And uh, our buddy Taron Bland, named an honorary member of Bearcat Journal for the weekend, has uh, made the trip with them. They were at Fog Allen Fieldhouse last night. They saw the Bearcats hang in there. For a few minutes, I had held out hope that UC was going to pull off an upset. I said to the person I was watching the game with, if UC wins, I'm Venmoing Chad money and they can have a victory round of drinks on me. As it turns out, they did not win. But on their way back from Kansas, or I guess Kansas City, Chad is with us right now with a group of. Uh, how would we describe the crew that you're with today?
3: Uh, uh, hodgepodge.
0: Okay. Where are you guys?
3: <laughs> we are. Uh, we are about to enter into uh, beautiful Terre Haute, Indiana.
0: Okay. All right. Beautiful is one word you could use to describe Terre Haute. Well. <laughs> Uh, so you'll be here. You'll be back in Cincinnati in a few hours. Let me let me start with let me start with the the, the environment and the venue. Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Did it live up to your expectations?
3: Every bit as good as advertised. Yeah. It, it was loud, and it, it, they had a great light show. They had you know they didn't have all the. It's what like it, it's the place that they just haven't like they haven't done much to you know. There's one big video board. There's no ribbon boards. There's it's not. Fancy. It's not modern. It is what you would expect from a historic basketball venue. And and when that place gets rocking, it rocks. And it was a really cool place to watch a game.
0: Uh, are Kansas fans nice?
3: I didn't have any issues. Oh, unbelievably nice.
0: Uh, Taren says unbelievably nice. Did Taryn root for the Bearcats?
3: I was neutral. He was neutral. Uh, I I I'll, I I'll it for my wallet.
0: What'd you bet on?
3: The cash, the cover, and they did.
0: All right, very good. Lost by four points. Uh, what is what is what is Lawrence, Kansas like? We
3: stopped at a uh, First State Brewing Company. Okay. Uh, I I didn't have a beer because I was going to work, but uh, they had some good food. Bob had a beer, and and I, it was it was uh, fruity and juicy.
0: Yes. Fruity and juicy. Uh, very good.
3: Okay. An IPA. A fruity and juicy IPA for Bob.
0: Okay. Very, very good. And and did, did you get a chance to meet either Rob Riggle or Johnny Furphy's parents? Didn't meet either of them. I did see,
3: here's a name from the past, Mo, that I didn't even, I, I've become friends with this coach uh, over the years on the AAU circuit. Mm-hmm. Did you know Joe Dooley Former ECU head coach was on staff at
0: Kansas. I had absolutely no idea. I didn't either until he walked. Wow. Uh, Joe,
3: so <laughs> I worked here.
0: I know. Former ECU coach, correct?
3: Yes, he was the
0: head coach at ECU. Well, wow. uh, Everybody remembers those days. All right, so uh, the environment was awesome. Fog Allen Field. You guys spent the night in Kansas City before the game? Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Longnecks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Longnecks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Longnecks. This college basketball season, swing by Longnecks Sports Grill. Stay late, come often. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Yeah, we were in Kansas City. We went out. Uh, had a really nice uh, burger place that we ate at. Uh, watched some of the Chiefs game with uh, amongst the Chiefs fans. Okay. Uh, I asked a, a woman in a Travis Kelsey jersey if she wanted to call and leave Travis' message at halftime. Um, it was a good time.
0: Okay. Awesome. Now let's let's talk about the game itself uh, this might be an indictment against Kansas, but UC last night shoots below 40 percent. They're three of 18 from behind the arc. They had 16 turnovers again, a number of them unforced um the the offense produced good looks that Cincinnati simply could not make throughout the course of the evening and yet for much of the second half they were right there. uh should I be more encouraged? More frustrated or more skeptical that Kansas is as good as a lot of voters seem to think they are.
3: So I think with Kansas, like Kevin McCuller is outstanding. Hunter Dickinson, Cincinnati did a really good job on Hunter, mm-hmm. um, but it, you know he's he's really good. Um, KJ Adams is as advertised. If Murphy looks anything like he has the past couple games. They are very dangerous. Um, but, you know, they don't quite rebound like past Kansas teams have. And they have some vulnerabilities that make them susceptible. They, they don't have any depth at all right now. Um, and there was a guy next to me that was the epitome, like, every time uh, Bill Self sent El Marco Jackson to the scores table – uh, what do we bleeping doing? Self, like every time, uh, so they don't love their depth, and I think that that could be an issue uh, as they get into the tournament. But uh, I think it speaks. But we've seen it from from this team from you know the start of Big Twelve play. They're scrappy. They're tough. They fight. I mean, they they embody. You know what, Mo? It feels like we're watching basketball, Bearcat basketball, for the past thirty years. They defend like hell. They rebound. But they make some dumb mistakes on offense, and they, at this point, have guys that some might say are in a funk. Not me. I wouldn't say that. Hmm.
0: Well, I I would, and and, and others would use language stronger than that. And I'll get to Johnny Furphy here in in a second. That game, and look, Dan Skillings played well last night, right? But he was not very good against Oklahoma. And so I I think what a lot of us had hoped was that by now – all right, they're playing in close games, and they are defending, and they, they are not getting just swallowed whole by Big 12 teams, good Big 12 teams. And yes, they got through the first six games, and they avoided an 0-6 or a 1-5 disaster. All of that is great, but man, a game like last night just calls for someone offensively specifically to take it over. And and that guy has yet to emerge. And I don't know that that guy has emerged to the degree that you can count on him to help them win the sort of games they still have in front of them uh, on so many occasions between now and the end of the season.
3: Mo, well, I think the ultimate fear right now is, is that guy on the team? And if he is on the team, is he still probably maybe a year away for like a a Day-Day Thomas or a Jizzle James or a Dan Skillings, Um, are any of them going to be able to get there this year? The early returns in conference play are not consistently. You know, we've seen all of those guys have their moments and step up, but on a night-in and night-out basis, Kevin McCullough is a perfect example. He didn't have a great game last night. It was 5 of 17 from the floor. Cincinnati really made him work. Uh, John Newman made his life difficult, but you know what? He had 20 points, and they won by four. And he found a way to impact the game. A lot of it was getting to the free throw line. And, you know, I I just don't know that they have that guy that, that come hell or high water, I'm going to have 17 every night. Like, who is that guy on this team? And I worry that even if he is on the team, he might not be there this season um so that is I think a legitimate concern
0: I I hate coming off like I'm picking on a college player I I don't like it um and so I'll 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 use that sort of to to launch into a a discussion about CMOS Lucosius. and you know ideally if if CMOS is having a poor game you could rely on CJ Frederick and he's he's not available but Boy, if there's been a, a, a common denominator in, in in so many of these losses, and there there have been more than one, unfortunately though, his lack of offensive production has has been one. Um it 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 killed him against Baylor, it hurt him against Xavier, and God knows it hurt him last night. And the frustrating thing I'm sure for him is he's had some unbelievably good looks. Now to his credit, he was terrific yeah. against TCU, but he's had some unbelievably good looks. When he's not making those, for a guy of his experience, for a guy of his, I think, overall just profile, I I, I don't know what else I can get from him if the, the looks that he was missing last night aren't falling.
3: The problem, though, is, okay, you take CMOS out. Who who plays for him? Right. I, 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 mean, I don't have an because answer. Of his passing, because of his passing and his ability to kind of you know, run, like, point forward uh, with the offense, you – offensively, they – like, they're they're not good with him on the floor right now offensively. They're really bad with him off of it offensively. So, I, I just don't know the answer without C.J. on the roster right now. Um, you have to have him out there to facilitate and at least have somebody that's a threat – uh, out at the three-point line. The biggest concern right now, I think, is, you know, when you look at his home road splits, um, he's shooting very well, right around 40%, if not a little over it at 5th-3rd Arena, and under 20% from three away from home. And guess what? Uh, they still have road games left. So that that's a problem if you can't get anything from him away from 5th-3rd Arena.
0: They are averaging in Big 12 play over 13 turnovers a game, 16 last night, and so many of them unforced. Uh, how does that get better? Or do I just simply assume that this is who they are and they're going to have to figure out ways to win despite being bad at ball security?
3: Well, is the Bigs have to stop turning it over so damn much? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, you you're, should have had, especially when Hunter Dickinson gets three fouls and goes to the bench, you should have been able to throw the ball inside. Instead, you had uh, Vic Locken twice and Jameel Reynolds once with their point guard guarding them. In a switch, they get the ball inside, and neither of them even get a look at the rim. I joked with Aziz one time, hey, you can't miss a layup if you travel before you get to the shot. Hmm. Like that, they're just not like some of that is you have to confidently be able to throw it into those guys and count that they'll at least get a shot up on the rim. Now, unfortunately, they're missing those two, but I, I think it was seven or eight turnovers from your three starting centers. If you cut that down to three, four, the turnover numbers don't look nearly as bad. It's not like. You know, the guards are just being egregiously sloppy with the ball every game. So much of it is multiple turnovers from every big guy, uh, especially on the road.
0: They have to win the next two, right?
3: Absolutely. Like, the math doesn't math Hmm. if you're not at 4-4 and after 8. Like, if the goal is to get to 9 or 10 wins, to give yourself, you know, the best chance at the NCAA tournament... Boy, if you're if you're three and five with you know what ten games left, and you got to get to nine, you got to go six and four over that stretch. There's a lot of tough games over those last ten. You've got to beat UCF. You've got to go to West Virginia and win.
0: All right, uh, is Taron driving still? So Taryn is uh, relaxing comfortably in the passenger seat. Okay, when I, I saw the video you guys posted of your uh, when you were like midway between here and and, and Kansas City, Taryn was driving. Yeah. Uh it, it's really quiet in that van. Is did everybody kind of have a wrong long rough night last night? I mean, it's kind of late in the day for for everybody to kind of be sleeping it off. What's going on? Uh,
3: it was a, it was a late night.
0: Yeah, it was a late night. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think I think Taryn and I and Brent got to bed about. Three Central, which you know, four yeah. Eastern, yeah, and then we were up and Adam and and on the road by nine.
0: All right, very good. And so, what? Maybe you've got like two and a half, three hours left. Two hours and forty
3: six minutes. Wow! Until we arrive at uh, the the Palacio
0: iHeart Studios. Fantastic. Well, uh, travel safe the rest of the way. I appreciate you uh, chiming in. Give everybody my best. Tell Taryn. Taryn, we're looking forward to having you. Not that Sean today and Drew yesterday haven't done a great job, but we, we love having you here and looking forward to hearing more about your trip and your, your time as a UC fan. And uh, the, the Allen Fieldhouse looked awesome last night. I've seen a lot of photos. And I wish I could join you I badly wish you guys could have seen a victory, but nonetheless, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they, they win the next two, and we can start talking about this team's uh, NCAA tournament bona fides again. Travel safe, guys. Thank you. Uh, no. All right, see you guys. I think we we uh, we lost him there. Nonetheless, there's uh, Chad Brendel and the crew from uh, Bearcat Journal on their way back. Fog Allen Fieldhouse is uh, at the top of my bucket list, and killed me not to go. It would have killed me more not to be there had they won the game, that uh, that did not happen. We'll uh, spend a little bit more time on that. We'll get you set for uh, college basketball tonight with uh, Xavier taking on a big, big week for the Musketeers. Uh, Creighton on the road, UConn on the road, uh, on the heels of three consecutive victories. You talk about a team that did what it needed to do. Now, they didn't play great by any stretch of the imagination, certainly on defense against uh, Georgetown on Friday. But... Uh, they did what they needed to do to put themselves in a position to have these games perhaps serve as a launching off point to uh, uh, building an NCAA tournament resume. We're going to get to uh, all of that, and th- there is there is something that people often say about U.C. basketball, and I wondered, God, is it really true? And well, I'll have the answer for you here in uh, just a bit more, as well, on uh, Brian Callahan. Uh, moving on from the Bengals to be the head coach of the Tennessee Titans as well. On ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. 3F4, this is ESPN 1530. Make sure you uh, download the iHeartRadio app. And uh, if you missed yesterday, and I, I have to put the other ones specifically up on the web. I didn't have a chance to do that this morning. We had uh, some guests with us in studio. We had Edwin Arroyo and uh, Jay Allen, a couple of Reds prospects in studio. If you listen to yesterday's show in its entirety on the iHeartRadio app, which you can find uh, right now, you can listen to that. I also podcast separately, and I'll, I'll put Jay and Edwin up uh, when I have some time either tonight or tomorrow. Brent Suter is now with the Reds. He's a Molar product. He is a really good dude. Uh, he He's a guy that we've been uh, lucky enough to have on our show uh, on a couple of different occasions, and I think he's going to be a great addition to the Reds' bullpen. I think he's going to be a, a great addition to the Reds' organization off the field as well. Um, he was with us in studio for like a seven or eight-minute conversation, and it was awesome, and if you missed it, Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection... And I say this often, if you haven't tried Longnecks Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Longnecks. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Longnecks Sports Grill, this college basketball season, stay late, come often. With the Lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Uh, I'm not just saying this because it was on my show. If you missed it and you love the Reds, you'll like this conversation. This dude is pumped to join this team and not just because it's his hometown team. So you can find that and so much more. You can uh, find that interview on the iHeartRadio app. You can find it on the podcast page of ESPN1530.com. You can find it on my website at ESPN1530.com, podcast of our show, a service of Long Neck Sports Grill. Do yourself a favor. If you're in northern Kentucky, or even if you're not, Let's stop treating the Ohio River like it's the English Channel. Uh, Tonight for dinner, cancel what you're doing. Go to Longnecks, get the wings, bring them home. Or eat them at Longnecks. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. So um, the game last night, unfortunately, uh, our our guy Johnny Furphy goes off and has a career night against the Bearcats, 23-11 and on 7-of-8 shooting, 3-for-4 from behind the arc. This is a player who scored five points against Tennessee, six points against UConn, one point against uh, Indiana. He had a four-point game against TCU. He scored five against Marquette. He was held scoreless against UK. Uh, For all the talk of Kansas weaponry, uh, we didn't spend a lot of time yesterday talking about Johnny Furphy having a big game. And every time he scored, they showed his parents in the stands. And let's be honest, the last name Furphy is funny. Uh, And so that's not something we expected. but, but, But unfortunately... Unfortunately, how they lost followed kind of a familiar pattern that I think you could say how they lost was to be expected. It is, on one hand, very encouraging. They went to Fog Allen Fieldhouse, and in a game where they were down, I think at one point, 21 to 11, and it felt like, whoop, this is about to get out of hand. Or uh, in the second half, after UC came back and, and tied the game and in the second half, Kansas jumped out. I think what it was, a, a seven-point game at like the 14-minute mark. And you're thinking, oh, boy, here we go. This is about to get out of hand. And UC had a response, and they made it a game. Uh, and they fought, and they clawed, and they showed toughness and 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 did all those things that are are great. And you should hang your hats on them. And look, to a degree, man, I don't think this Kansas team is great, Kansas is the signature program in the Big Twelve. They went to Fog Allen Fieldhouse. They covered the number. This game was was in doubt uh, up until, and I I think about the four minute mark last night. That's good. That's that's better than a lot of people thought. Certainly better than a lot of people thought prior to Big Twelve play starting. But I, I think what made last night more frustrating than you might argue it should have been. Look, on, on one hand, you could say, God, they, they lost to Kansas by five. Like, come on, are you kidding me? You're balking at that? Well, yeah, because so many of the issues that cost them a chance to win the game last night have been issues well, for a large chunk of the season. The game's script felt kind of familiar. The other team jumps out to a lead. Cincinnati has to spend a lot of time playing from behind. They end up not being very good with the basketball, a lot of turnovers. They end up missing a ton of wide open shots, both at the rim and from behind the arc. And they lose a game that was there for the taking. Now, let's be honest. They deserve credit for how they beat TCU a close game and winning at BYU, which nobody expected. That's awesome. I... I maintain that this program is going in the right direction. I maintain there's something to be encouraged by when you look at how they stood in there against good teams. I mean, we're talking about, I think six legitimate NCAA tournament caliber teams. I don't think Oklahoma is great. And I don't think Kansas is as good as Houston, who they play twice. The Bearcats do later in the season, but these are good teams and big 12 play is tough. And they are two and four, which we said at the end of the first six games, that had to be worst case, and so we're here. Now they've got to win their next two, and if they do, we'll take four and four through the first eight big twelve games. but if if we're talking about their chances of maybe exceeding everybody's expectations and providing the most tangible evidence you can that the program is in great hands and going in the right direction, which is to make the NCAA tournament, I think you are being fair. If you are skeptical that they can do that, if they keep getting in their own way, the way they have, that's not to discredit their opponents. But now for a while, we've talked about, God, UC's offense works, except outside shots aren't being made and inside shots aren't being made. How many times this year have we talked about the long, long list of layups that Cincinnati has missed? How many times this year have we talked about their uh, bad ball security and the fact that this team, for whatever reason, its guards and its bigs, uh, they they just they have a hard time. They made a run at the end of the first half to tie the game from the three thirty one mark until their the very end of their last possession of the first half. They didn't turn it over, and what did they do? They climbed back into it and tied the game at the half. Like and, and the turnovers, and it's it's been a, a refrain now for a while, but the, the turnovers are mostly, there are exceptions, are mostly unforced. And there are so many of them relative to a team that doesn't exactly play at a very, very fast pace. Uh, there's a lot of season left. I believe what we're six weeks away from the end of the regular season. But we are now in the second half of the season, and they have played enough games, 20, I'm sorry, 19 of them, that, you know, you're being fair if you go, what they've shown us is what they are. Not that they can't improve because teams do get better, but how much of what they've shown us is what they are. And I think in relation to turnovers, bad shooting, not finishing at the rim, And even bad free throw shooting, which, you know, was an issue early in the game. And then they were much, much better. UC last night shot 78% from the free throw line, 78.3 to be exact, 18 of 23. That'll work, but it's still a team that has shot itself in the foot at the free throw line this year. Is this what they are? And if the answer is yes, in this league, look, the schedule... Maybe they're not going to have to go to Lawrence anymore. Maybe they don't have to go back to Waco, but they got play a bunch of pretty damn good teams, including two against Houston. They have the Texas Tech game. G- going to Morgantown and winning is, is not going to be easy by any stretch. And the UCF team they play on Saturday beat Kansas, albeit in Orlando. They have a road win against Texas. So the, the longer you do something, the longer your team um goes committing the same sort of mistakes or losing because of some of the same reasons you just you, you assume that this is what they are right i mean in football if if you spend 12 games out of a 16 game or sorry out of a 17 game season being a, a bad pass protection team and that continues to kind of limit your offense you get to the latter part of the schedule and you go you know what we're just a bad pass protection team now we got to figure out a way to win in spite of that The Bengals have done. Well, if you're a team that's not great with the ball, inconsistent shooting, and I think on top of everything, for as much as I like so many of the individual pieces, and as much as their experience in the Big 12 now could provide a payoff down the road this year and certainly next season, like right now, in a game that was there for the taking, nothing at all against Dan Skillings. The Bearcats got good Dan last night. But who are you counting on? Who are you counting on to get you a bucket? Who are you counting on to create an, a scoring opportunity for themselves? Who are you counting on to throw it to and say they're going to figure out a way to, to stop the other team's run? Who are you going to go to? Four-minute game. We're down two. We've got to tie it or take the lead. Who are you going to go to? The other team's on a 6 nothing run, and this is starting to get away. And, you know, last night somebody did emerge, and it was Dan Skillings, and that was terrific. But are you counting on him? He had one point against Oklahoma. I don't... Again, like talking about individual players cuz it sounds like you're picking on a college kid and I'm I'm really reluctant to to do that, but for for all the good things this this team has done this season and for as encouraging as I think their play, their overall play over the first 6 Big 12 games has been. Um if if you had held out hope that this particular bunch could have its name called on selection Sunday without the emergence of a go-to guy, uh, with turnovers continuing to be an issue with their problems finishing at the rim with their issues at the free throw line which again were not a problem last night with their overall inconsistency shooting it in from the outside I, I i don't i don't know i don't know how they do that I, I i don't know how they accomplish i don't know how they accomplish the goal of getting to the NCAA tournament In a league this good, when so many of those issues that have cropped up now repeatedly, going back to when they lost the first time this year to Xavier, if those issues keep cropping up and they have such a small margin for error to begin with, how does this team accomplish what so many of us, myself obviously included, wanted to accomplish? Which which is to, to, to be good enough to win enough games, be more than competitive enough to get to the NCAA tournament. Like, on on one hand, God, they were right there. And I do think they're close. And I think there's something to be said about being close. But we've done the whole they're close thing now for a while. And close is relative. I think that next hurdle to clear, which is be better with the ball, be a better outside shooting team, finish better at the rim, show a slightly higher IQ, have it a, the emergence of a go-to guy. Like, I think that last hurdle to clear we're like, we're not close, we're there, is perhaps the toughest hurdle to clear. And like, you know, okay, they hung in there, but, you know, they got good dance killings last night. They got, uh, you know, a, a good collective performance by the bench that uh, scored 32 points. The The shooting by the starters last night was not great. Uh, At one point, UC starters, and this was into the second half, had more turnovers than made field goals. That ended up not being the case in the final tally, but still, that can't be. You can't have 24 buckets and 18, I'm sorry, 16 turnovers. In games like last night's, and in games like the Baylor game, and in games, even the games like the ones they won. And I know this tune is entirely different had they taken care of business against Oklahoma, which I think is going to end up being the game that if they are just on the outside looking in, we look back and go that's the one. That's the one that could have been the difference between playing in the NIT or playing in the NCAA tournament. And that is if they are this close to making it. Because I think that game was there for the taking early. They should have beaten that team. I think they are in many respects, better than Oklahoma. I don't think they're better than Kansas. I think they're better than Oklahoma. They let that game get away. So now the loss last night is amplified because of what they didn't do on Saturday. But again, like so many of of these performances and games, they have lost. I think the Dayton game's a slight exception. They lost that game because they had no answer for Deron Holmes. They were terrible at committing fouls while playing defense. But the, the other losses, the other five, have looked largely painfully familiar. Offense is working, it's creating good looks, but they can't convert. Not good with the ball. Last night, as an exception, they've been bad at the free throw line. And guys that you hope can emerge to kind of slow down the other team's run can't. It doesn't mean that on a macro level, there's not reason to be really, really excited about this program. I know I am. And it doesn't mean there isn't something really awesome about the fact that they're they're holding their own in the Big 12. But... If you had hopes that this season could uh, could end with this team playing an NCAA tournament game, that becomes really hard to envision if they don't win the next two. And if they don't win the next two, chances are it's going to be because of some of the same issues that have kept them from winning any of the six that they have lost. Because I'm fearful that what they have been in those losses is a big part of what they are. You're... Uh, Input is welcome at 513-749-1530 and 866-702-3776. Uh, a few thoughts on uh, Brian Callahan leaving, and uh, i tell you who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. It's one of my favorite days of the year in sports. Next on ESPN 1530. Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection... And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Necks. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Necks Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com.
3: Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Uh, sports headlines are a service of Kelsey Chevrolet, home of Lifetime Powertrain Protection and Guaranteed Credit Approval from their family to yours for life. Kelsey Chev. Dot com. Uh, Brian Callahan's leaving the Bengals. He was their offensive coordinator. He is off to Nashville. He'll be the head coach of the uh, Tennessee Titans, which means Cincinnati needs an offensive coordinator. They have reportedly interviewed former Seahawks offensive line coach, Andy Dickerson for that position. This according to, uh, Mike Silver, Mike Silver, who, uh, among uh, many other outlets has written for sports illustrated. He's now with, uh, backstage media and the San Francisco Chronicle. Best of luck, uh, to, uh, Coach Dickerson in his hunt for an offensive coordinator job. Now, Dan Pitcher, I think right now, is still considered the odds-on favorite to be the new offensive coordinator, but the Bengals quarterback's coach has uh, conducted interviews or will conduct interviews with the Patriots, Raiders, and Saints for their OC vacancies. Uh, The University of Cincinnati has filled its defensive coordinator vacancy with uh, Iowa State linebackers coach Tyson Veit. He is the 2017 Football Scoop Linebackers Coach of the Year. He's been with uh, the Cyclones for the past eight seasons. Welcome to Cincinnati, Tyson Vite. College basketball tonight, Xavier's at Creighton. That game tips off at 8.30. Uh, you can hear it live on 700 WLW. Blue Jays are very good defensively. They are great at not fouling. They are very good at stopping you from getting good shots. They're not a high turnover defense. This is going to be a tough, tough task for the Musketeers. UK is on the road at South Carolina. Also tonight, uh, the the Kentucky game, by the way, can be heard live on ESPN 1530. Uh, Also tonight, uh, Ohio State is at Nebraska. Miami is at Central Michigan and uh, UD, the Flyers, on the road in Philly against LaSalle. Uh, Hockey tonight, the uh, Jackets skate at Edmonton. This evening is also, I love Hall of Fame discussions. I love Hall of Fame debates. And I love these sensical discussions that occur after a Hall of Fame class is announced. And let's be honest, love the NFL, love football. I'm a huge basketball fan, college and pro. But there's no Hall of Fame, I think, that carries with it more meaning to its sports fans than the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's To me, it's the Hall of Fame voting that we pay closest attention to. It's the Hall of Fame voting. It's the Hall of Fame process that I think it creates the the best discussions and the best debates. I still feel like the baseball hall of fame, it feels more exclusive than the basketball hall of fame. Uh, And, and it, it, it feels like the process just makes more sense and is easier to follow than that of the pro football hall of fame. And let's be honest, even in an age of advanced metrics, there are many pro football hall of famers that it's, Or or Hall of Fame candidates where it's hard to outline their case because many positions are not based on, you know, we don't judge them by statistics. There are a lot of offensive line metrics, but when we talk about how great Anthony Munoz was, we just talk about how great he was. We don't really dive into offensive tackle stats. We do so with quarterbacks and running backs, etc., But I also think football is a little bit more difficult to compare eras and there are more positions in football that I think it's harder for folks to wrap their brain around statistically what is and isn't a Hall of Famer. Baseball's become more difficult in that regard because we've had to recontextualize 5,000 or 500 home runs and 300 wins because we really shouldn't be documenting pitcher wins and losses. And so the conversation has changed and the conversation has also changed because of all the steroid guys. And then because we have so many either alleged cheaters or proven cheaters on the ballot, then everybody gets butthurt about, you know, folks like me who would be okay putting in, for example, an Alex Rodriguez or a Manny Ramirez and the, the folks who don't want to do so. I think there are, at times, really good discussions about guys who have been connected to cheating in baseball. Uh, or we get mad at, like, like Adrian Beltre is going to go in tonight. And I don't think he's going to go in unanimously, but he is a surefire Hall of Famer and And a guy who, while he was playing, you might not have thought, "God, that's a Hall of famer, but um, well, there are only five players in history who uh have over a hundred plus fielding runs saved and over eleven hundred extra base hits. Uh, Mays, Yastrzemski, Bonds, Pujols, and Beltray. Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. He should be, but he's he's not. Uh, Beltray's in pretty select company when you talk about those names. Uh, he is. He is also. I'm not going to bore you with a whole bunch of Adrian Beltray numbers. I don't think anybody anybody wants that. Uh, he is uh, in the 3,000 hit five Gold Glove club that includes Mays, Clemente, Jeter, Gwyn, Ichiro, k K-Line, Winfield. And Beltre, he's one of two infielders in that club. Uh, He is one of two players all time, over 3000 hits and 200 plus fielding runs saved. Roberto Clemente is the other. So he's he's getting in. Uh, Many have said he should go in unanimously. That's probably not going to happen. And then what will happen is we will argue about like the five people that didn't vote him in because that's what we do. We can't just celebrate a career. We have to get mad. Uh, but I do, I, I love the discussions that kind of come after a baseball hall of fame announcement. If it's, I put this on social media today. If I had a vote and I don't, because in order to have a vote, you have to be a member of the baseball writers association of America, which requires A, a journalism background. I don't have it. B you have to be a good writer. I'm not. C you have to be willing to watch a lot of baseball games from a press box and nothing against the people who do that. That ain't my jam. But my unofficial ballot would include Todd Helton, Alex Rodriguez, Beltray, Billy Wagner, Joe Mauer, Gary Sheffield, Manny Ramirez. Strong consideration to Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Carlos Beltran, uh, and Frankie Rodriguez too. But those are the seven that I would put in. Now you're, there there are some cheaters on there. I just I've I've with each subsequent year I care less and less. Uh there's you know, Todd Helton's had some off field issues. I don't believe the character clause should exist, so I ignore it. Baseball writers should be choosing who the best baseball players are, not who the best people are. Uh, it's not the people hall of fame, it's the baseball hall of fame. So chances are my I've looked at some Hall of Fame tracking. Beltray's gonna get in with ease, and he should. I think Maurer's gonna get in. Uh there seems like there's some momentum for Wagner. Uh Gary Sheffield should absolutely be in. I'm not sure. I've, 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 I've seen five hitters who are more terrifying than that guy in his prime. But anyway, if you care about such things, uh, that is uh, tonight at six. And the uh, free plug for them, the MLB Network does an awesome job of covering that. And it's cool. And maybe you don't care. And that's fine. I do think it's interesting. It feels like there are baseball fans for whom tonight is the only day they ever really talk about baseball. And they're usually angry about it. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting class. Uh, and if it was up to me, which it's not more things should be, I'd put in those seven dudes, uh, nine minutes away from uh, five o'clock, uh, UK hoops coming up at uh, five thirty five 30 is the most fun team to watch in college basketball hits the road to take on South Carolina. We have a lot to get to between now and then I have my sad piece of paper. We have a golden opportunity for the Musketeers and we have a golden opportunity for Zach Taylor too. We'll get to all of that on ESPN, 1530 Cincinnati sports station. You found Cincinnati's ESPN 1530. There you go. Five after five, ESPN 1530. Good afternoon. My name's Mo Egger. I uh, really do appreciate you listening. We're, uh, we're finished here in 25 minutes. UK, South Carolina coming up. At the bottom of the hour, or as normal people call it, 530. Tip off at uh, 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, Wildcats with an awesome offensive display against Georgia on Saturday. try to keep it going on the road against uh, the Gamecocks. So that doesn't give us a lot of time. I do want to do this because we had uh, Paul Daner Jr. for the first hour and then uh, Chad called us from the road and the uh, caravan back from uh, Lawrence. We, we've we been busy, me rambling about Baseball Hall of Fame voting and the Bearcat game last night. We've got uh, the Bengals and the, the search for an offensive coordinator. I, I do have a few thoughts. First of all, on Brian Callahan's time in Cincinnati because I I, I feel like he and the offensive coaching staff are overlooked in three different areas. And I'm I'm sort of I, I I I certainly understand the value of continuity and the Bengals keeping the same offensive coaching staff together, but I'm I'm kind of viewing what they're going through now as a bit of an opportunity. Um and we're gonna get to all that here in a bit, but we've we've got folks who have been waiting and I don't want to make people wait any longer. Uh Bill in Oakley, thank you for your patience here on ESPN fifteen thirty. What's up? Well, I think there's somebody obvious
3: for the offensive coordinator position that we're forgetting. It's somebody who's familiar with both Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who is not going to be interested in calling offensive plays. In fact, he may not. You wouldn't even need him at the games. He'd be all right with that. <laughs> somebody who uh, is possibly the, the, the architect of the greatest college football team of all time. I'm talking about Ed Orgeron. Because <laughs> I just want him here. Go, go, Bengals.
0: Well, I think it'd be fun to have Ed around. I think it would be now that the problem with Ed uh, as a practical matter is his 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 background is on defense. I I have no remote idea what Ed Orgeron is doing. Uh, I'm guessing whatever he is doing, he is. It involves having a lot of fun. I don't think he is coached. So, yeah, I mean, you can have Ed around. He could join us every week. He wouldn't need to be at the games. Chances are he probably wouldn't want to go to the games. And so, yeah, on some level, having Ed with Joe and Jamar and whichever other former LSU players they bring in would be fun. But as a as a practical matter, well, number one, I don't know that Ed has ever expressed a desire to work in the NFL. Number two, he's a defensive guy. But sure, we're thinking outside the box. I like it. I think, in all seriousness, when you look at Brian Callahan's time in in town, he right hand man for Zach Taylor for five years, and so you know we 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 discuss struggles of the offense. Brian Callahan is a part of that. We discuss the success of the offense. Brian Callahan is a part of that. I I, I just I can tell you from watching the Bengals from afar during this franchise flip if you will from also ran to one of the the better teams in the league to even a team that right now if you were to wager an amount of money that matters to you on whether or not the Bengals make the playoffs next year I think you would say they do I know I would And that's assuming some things but I I, I don't think I don't think missing the playoffs this year is any reason to be completely down on the franchise they did some things that caught up to them the realities of the league caught up to him. The reality is this it's really hard to win every single year, especially when you don't have your quarterback healthy for but a handful of games. Nonetheless, I, I've always felt like the offensive coaching staff, in some circles, doesn't get the credit it deserves for three things that stand out to me when I think of Brian Callahan's time in Cincinnati. And it's not to say that he's primarily responsible for any of these things but he's had a hand in them like Joe Burrow's rookie season. I know I've said this on this show before. It's, it's not as simple as, as a, as a lot of us have made it out to be where they draft him. He shows up and he is immediately Joe Burrow without the benefit of a normal training camp, a normal off season, no OTAs, no preseason games, Joe Burrow's NFL debut. He wasn't perfect. But he came this close to engineering a last-minute drive that would have won the game against the Chargers. Now, there was the the pushing-off call on A.J. Green, and then Randy Bullock injures both Cavs somehow trying a game-tying field goal. But I remember watching Joe Burrow's first game going, this looks like a guy who's more than ready to play quarterback at this level. And that sounds obvious. Yeah, he was the number one overall pick. He had led the, the greatest offense of all time in college at LSU. He won the Heisman Trophy, but he looked in command of the offense. He looked sure of himself. He looked on the same page for the most part with the guys he was throwing to. He wasn't great. He, in many respects, played like a rookie. But the job the offensive coaching staff did in, in just getting him ready, Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection and I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Necks Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Necks. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: With no real fallback plan, right? It wasn't like Justin Herbert where they were going to put Tyrod Taylor out there his first season. No preseason games. He's learning his offense on his parents' couch in Athens. I have felt since then the offensive coaching staff deserves a world of credit for getting that done. Brian Callahan was a part of that. The playoff run in 2021 said this a lot at the time. The Bengals that year, they go on a roll at the very end of the regular season. They win three playoff games. Now at the end of the regular season, Joe Burrow puts up insane numbers against the Baltimore Ravens. And Jamar Chase plays the greatest game I've ever seen a wide receiver play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Then the playoffs get here. And suddenly that awful offensive line went from an issue to a major problem. And yet, with the help of very good defensive play, elite special teams play, some luck, Joe Burrow being good at not turning over the football, Bengals got to the Super Bowl. A reason why I have felt, and I I said this often in January and early February of 2022, I'll say it two years later. Say what you want about this coaching staff and the work they did this year. The offensive coaching work during that postseason run was elite. Because it cannot be easy to sit down in preparation for a playoff game. The quintessential must win knowing, our offensive line stinks. Our quarterback's going to get hit. We cannot block these guys. And it caught up to them in the Super Bowl. Had they had a competent offensive line, chances are they have a Lombardi trophy in their case right now at Paycor Stadium. But the job the coaching staff did that year in, all right, we, here's what we know. We, we've got to work around this offensive line and still be functional. That's what they were offensively. They weren't great. They weren't explosive offensive football wasn't the main reason why they won those games, but the offense didn't keep them from winning those games. Joe get a lot of that. Yes. Does the coaching staff deserve some of that credit? Hell yes. Said it at the time. I believe it two years later to put together game plans around this major deficiency of an offensive line could not have been easy. And yet they did it not to the degree that they were putting up 35 points on everybody, but that they could found a, they could find a way to do just enough to win. That's a credit to Zach and it's a credit to Brian Callahan, too. And then honestly, I I think the work the Bengals did with Jake Browning. Now it wasn't perfect. Would have loved to have seen them run it more against the Steelers in Jake's first start. Have no idea why Chase Brown wasn't around and then was a big part of the offense, and then late in the year was not much of a part of the offense. I'll always wonder about that. But they they had a quarterback who had never played. They had him ready to go. Even in that Pittsburgh game, they, they, you 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 could see that that he was he wasn't in over his head. Now, the lion's share of that credit belongs with Jake, right? He looks like a good QB, looks like he's done his homework, looked like he was mentally and physically ready for the opportunity that finally came his way. But the fact that they, over the course of the that stretch where they won three straight games, Jake wasn't perfect, the coaching wasn't perfect, but they adjusted the offense to what Jake does well. Now again, Zach Taylor's going to get some of that credit. He's also going to get some of the blame for some of the stuff that went poorly. We'll say the same thing about Brian Callian. I think those three things... If I was interviewing him, if I'm running the Titans and I got Brian Callahan in front of me, those are the three things I'm asking about. Hey, let's let's talk about getting Joe Burrow ready week one in amid a series of unprecedented challenges. Hey, let's talk about that Super Bowl run. That was cool. Walk me through designing game plans and having to figure out how to solve a problem like having a terrible offensive line in playoff games in road environments. And then let's talk about how you got Jake Browning ready to go. How did you adjust the offense? What was that like? Talk me through the coaching here. Uh, Those are the three things. If I could sit across from Brian Callahan, I would want to know about those three things. I think those things have always stood out to me when it comes to talking about Bengals offensive coaching. And yes, Zach calls the plays and he is the head coach. Brian Callahan, to me, has been a big part of all of that. Now, you lose them. I kind of view what they have coming up as a bit of an opportunity. I think a shake-up, a minor shake-up, a slightly different way of doing things, or maybe even a fresh perspective from the outside could, could freshen things up a bit. Like I, I think there's something about, even if you have a really well-run organization, somebody who comes in with some ideas. Like, I think our show is Okay. But man, there are times like I'll I'll find radio consultants who I think are worth their salt. Many aren't, and and I'll I'll listen to their TED talks or podcasts or if I could ever afford to go to the uh, Barrett uh, Sports Media Seminar in New York, I'd go. Not not that I want to overhaul what we do, but sometimes it's just good to have a different, fresh, outside perspective. I'll send our show to other radio hosts who I really really enjoy. One of them sent me something back last week and said, dude, here's a crutch of yours, get rid of it. A fresh perspective, even if you like what you're doing and are good at what you're doing, and I like what I'm doing, reasonable people could argue I am not good at what I'm doing, a fresh perspective, a good outside perspective, can can really sometimes freshen things up, help. I think the same principle applies here. I'm kind of hoping Dan Pitcher the guy because... I think there's something about the quarterback coach QB relationship that if it's if it's amplified could allow this team to really prosper but if it ends up being somebody from outside uh an organization that has done a good job of putting together a coaching staff will have brought in someone that I think is 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 likely to have some really good ideas that can help make an already high potential good offense even better. I view this as an opportunity uh, I'm sure they care what I think. Seventeen after five o'clock. Uh, Mike, you're on ESPN. Fifteen thirty. What's going on? What's going on, man? I,
2: I tell you one thing. I want to do right now. Okay. if It's okay with you. Is, you where, where, you where, where are you right from? now? Where are you? Where are you? Well, I got a TV up too loud. Okay, turn your TV. Going to the other room. Yeah, I got my aunt here. She's ninety three. She don't hear too well. I'm taking care of her right
0: now. Does she want to talk to me? Um, Mike, we uh, we only have 12 you know, minutes left always, on the show, so go ahead.
2: You know how you always say thank you for listening? Uh-huh. we come back off break. I want to thank you for broadcasting. And mm. I'm deeming this fan appreciation day for Mo Egger because, brother, let me tell you, you appreciate us listening to you, but I, I'm uh-huh. telling you, Mo. You're a, you're a hell of a broadcaster, and you've meant a lot to me over the last several years. And very I just wish kind of people, people would tell you how much they appreciate <laughs> you. Because they, they,
0: they do more often than I let on, but that's very nice of you. Yeah,
2: because you put your heart and soul into it, and you, you commit to it, and it's pretty obvious. Hmm. Um, do you, here's a question. Do you prefer if two different times of the year in sports? Do you prefer the fall with the advent of the NFL College Football Baseball Playoffs World Series or the spring March Madness NFL Drafts opening day across Major League Baseball?
0: Mm, That's a terrific question. I think those are the best two times of year. Uh, I'm going to lean March only because that's triggering good weather. And you know I love good (laughs) weather. At the end of October is Mm. darkness. Now, October, in terms of, like, bigness, there's nothing better. Because now you're you're kind of getting into the real heart of the college football season, uh, the NFL season is beyond its first couple of weeks. You get postseason baseball, college basketball is about to begin. The NBA has started, hockey is happening. You get you know you get the the sports is it the sports equinox or solstice? I don't know. We're all four major sports are happening. Hell, MLS is happening as well. Uh, there's there's nothing as packed as October. But Mike, I love. March Madness. I love the run-up to March Madness. I love the optimism that comes with spring training. And NFL free agency now in this town has mattered so much. Plus, we're getting warmer weather. The days are getting longer. I love the month of March slightly more than the month of October. But those are the best two times a year for being a sports fan for my money.
2: I agree. And it's and springtime, especially when you live in the Midwest. Like you said, just the advent of greenery and yeah. Warming temperatures and 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 I just my God! I remember one time I had to have a tumor taken off my arm years ago oh. back here, and and they uh, so I was laid up for several days, and they, and they did the surgery the day before March Madness started, and I was on this pain med, so I was feeling great, laying in my bed, and my wife the every. I was probably the happiest four or five days of my life. It was just. And the trees were getting green and stuff. It was wonderful. Um, if you'll indulge me a minute, you know what I really miss is the old days in the Missouri Valley Conference with U C and Drake, they had McCoy McElmore and Bradley had chet to Jeff Walker, Wichita had Dave the Rave, Stalworth, Louisville had the the best six eight under guy ever to rebound the basketball Wesley on so man, I miss those days
0: well those are those predate me Mike you know i, I grew up with u c basketball in the metro and then in the great midwest and then in conference u s a and then obviously you know much much later on in the big East, so you're talking about something that predates me Mike
2: what you know about
0: it, very, well, very, very, it. Very, very much so yeah yeah the the list yeah. of school- the list of schools that have been members of the missouri valley conference i, I think would would surprise a lot of people like. Iowa, Iowa, and Nebraska, and Loyola, and Houston, and Creighton, and UC, and Butler, and, and have all been members at, at various points of the of the Missouri Valley Conference.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's got quite a tradition. Danny Crum was a young up and coming superstar, uh, uh, here's the good news. And I know you got to go. I have am got the privilege of going to Levi for the games this weekend, so wow. I am stoked. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked um, for you. Uh, I, I know I won't be able to call you because the show won't be on, but uh, I'll call you the next day and tell you how it was. But hopefully it'll be a great game. Um, real quick, the, the Georgetown game the other night you went to, I, I was so disappointed they gave up 91 points to Georgetown. But but you give them a shot tonight against Creighton.
0: I do. Uh, I, I do because I, I, I think Xavier has found some uh, – thank you, Mike. I, I think Xavier has found some, some other scoring options beyond Oliveri and Claude I worry about him defensively. I don't know that Creighton's going to be able to get to the rim the way Georgetown did. And, you know, look, Sean Miller makes an adjustment at the end of that game at just the right time. I'm going to put some faith in him that uh, I, that that he could figure out a way to stop Kalkenbrenner and and take a, a Creighton team that is is better defensively than I, I think folks realize and come up with a way to keep them in the game on the road. Uh, they hung in there against UConn. They hung in there against Purdue's better than Creighton. UConn's better than Creighton in the toughest games they've played. If you look at the best teams on their schedule, they've hung in there. I think they can hang in there tonight. I'm certainly not going to be surprised if they don't win the game. Truth be told, I don't think they will win the game. But yeah, I give them a chance. And I think the, the offensive growth of that team has been something to behold. The Georgetown game was disappointing because of the defensive performance. We'll see if Sean uh, can get his guys to a, to clean that up. And look, it's it's not like their defensive issues were limited to how they played against Georgetown. But I think you can get uh, Creighton up and down and, and take advantage of that, similar to the way they did against Providence. And I I do. I, I give them a, a puncher's chance in Omaha tonight. We are way late. It's 23 after 5 on ESPN 1530. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Longnecks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection, and the menu at Longnecks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Longnecks. This college basketball season, swing by Longnecks Sports Grill. Stay late, come often.